So here's a little Bible trivia for you. In all of the synoptic gospels, they're called, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because they, they share a lot of the same information and in the same order. John is a whole story kind of in a separate category. But in, in all three of the synoptic gospels, the voice of God, the creator, God, the father, God, the mother, speaks to people on earth directly two times. That's it. We only hear in the synoptic gospels, we only hear the voice of God from out of heaven two times. And both times, the voice of God says essentially the same thing. Referring to Jesus both times, the voice says, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am delighted. The first time, excuse me, first time we hear those words from God, it's at the occasion of Jesus's baptism. John the Baptist uh, immerses Jesus into the Jordan River. As Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit comes down, and this voice from heaven comes and says, this is my son, the beloved one. With him, I am delighted. The next and only other time that we hear the voice of God speak directly to people on earth is in the story that we have this morning from Matthew's Gospel. This story is known as the Transfiguration because for a very short period of time, Jesus is seen in a new light, literally a new light. The glory that Jesus shares with God the Creator and the Holy Spirit shines out of him, radiates out of his being. Peter, uh, in his usual way, when this happens, goes overboard in reaction, in response. And then in the midst of Peter's overreaction, we hear the voice saying exactly the same thing as at the baptism. Almost, almost exactly the same thing as at the baptism. I know some of you have already caught this, but this time when God speaks directly to earth, there's a short little directive that gets added on at the end. The words at the baptism and the, those same words that are repeated in our story are simply identification. Uh, God is publicly identifying who Jesus is. My son, this is my son, the beloved one, with whom I am delighted. Pure identification. But then... In our story this morning, God adds just a little hint about what we should do with that information, with this identification of Jesus. And that is, listen to him. Considering how little we hear directly from the voice of God to earth, this addition, even though it's little, seems pretty important. Consider who else is on the mountain with Jesus. Moses. Moses gave the whole of the law 
to God's people. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the whole first five books of the Hebrew First Testament are considered from Moses, authored by Moses. And those first five books are called the Torah. All of that came, uh, is attributed to, at least, to Moses. Moses is clearly a hugely significant person and leader in the history of God's people. And Moses is there with Jesus on the mountain. Elijah is also there. Elijah was considered one of the greatest prophets in the history of God's people. Elijah represents the whole tradition of the the prophets and the way that God communicated to the covenant people in very specific situations. The prophets were, were important messengers for God to God's people, and Elijah was considered one of the greatest, if not the, the greatest. Moses and Elijah, these two huge commanding figures, are both there with Jesus on the mountain in our story. And yet, the voice of God doesn't say, listen to all of them. The voice says, listen to Jesus. Consider who else is there. Peter, James, and John. These were three of the most significant leaders for the early church um, as people began to follow Jesus. In Matthew's telling of the gospel, Jesus has already told Peter that he is going to be a key foundation for the building of his church. In fact, that little opening we get where six days later, what happened six days prior was Jesus said to Peter, you are the rock upon which I will build the the church. Um, and And Peter has acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. So that has already taken place. We already know in reading Matthew's gospel how important, how significant Jesus or how Peter is going to be. In fact, part of the reason that all three of them are here with Jesus on the mountain is to give them authority in their roles as leaders in the future. Um, Again, you know, that came up in part of uh, Peter's, one of Peter's letters to the church trying to explain why they should listen to him, uh, essentially, is, is part of the deal, is that um, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. This experience of seeing Jesus in his glory was important for Peter and James and John in establishing the church of followers of Jesus. They are here in this morning's story about Jesus transfigured on the mountain. And again, the voice doesn't say, from now on, 
or excuse me, for now, for this moment, listen to Jesus because your time will come and people will listen to you. Again, it simply is, even with all these incredible people here who are extremely important to the history of God's people and the future of God's people, out of all of those people, the voice says, listen to him, listen to Jesus. Dale Bruner helped uh, me understand some, of, at least, of what is happening in this morning's story. He writes, God does not waste words or talk for mere effect. What does this twice-repeated voice mean? It means that the single most important fact that God wants the church and the world to know, bar none, is all that we have in Jesus of Nazareth. And it is in these terse words that the story reaches its sharpest point. They were, they are, excuse me, these words are what this story is finally about. They are why the cloud, the transfiguration, the Old Testament figures and the voice occurred at all. The response that God wishes of the disciples to his priceless son is the response that listens to Jesus with the faith of obedience. Listen to him. The voice does not even say, listen also to me. This is God, the creator, speaking from heaven. That voice doesn't even say, listen also to me. As if God had, this is Bruner still, as if God had important things to say to us independently of Jesus. Instead, God directs complete attention to the visible, audible, palpable Son. No direct, immediate, or unmediated communications between God and the human race or between God and his church are announced. Jesus is God's word. So, listen to him. This story gives all of us as disciples of Jesus the most important guidance that we receive in terms of reading the Bible. Everything we read in all of the scriptures, both the Hebrew First Testament and the Greek New Testament, in the end has to be weighed and understood through what we hear and read about and from Jesus. All the other voices in our scriptures have their place and are vital to hear in their context. But when we get into those moments of doubt about who is God, what does God want? Is God this way or is God that way? When we have conflicts of, of scriptures themselves, we all know how uh, people on different sides of very significant moral, ethical arguments can take lines from the scriptures and use them against each other, all from the same scriptures. When we are in those types of situations, again, we listen for the voice of Jesus because Jesus is the full expression of God. The voice of God makes it quite clear. Listen to him. Even when all these other important and dignified people are there, listen to him. And at the end of our story for this morning, we're given this beautiful glimpse of what happens in our lives when we do listen to Jesus. As I mentioned before, when Peter, 
first sees Jesus in his glory, and Moses is there, and Elijah is there. Uh, Peter goes overboard in his reaction. He offers to build three tabernacles. Um, it's as if he, he kind of wants to, to capture and preserve this moment and, and make it last. But that's not what the plan is. And so we hear, I love this part. Uh, Mark, the gospel according to Mark is considered um, the closest to, to Peter's actual voice and experience. Uh, so I don't know if Mark would have put it quite this way. But, but Peter's all excited. He wants to build these tabernacles. And then in verse 5, while he was still speaking, <laughs> the voice, the cloud comes in and the voice interrupts. I love that. God doesn't even wait for Peter to finish with what he's saying. It's like, just be quiet, Peter. Peter uh, very frequently just gets too, too worked up. The cloud overtakes them. The voice of God speaks. And Peter, James, and John all are terrified. We get at least a little bit of an idea of why they likely were terrified in that story of Moses on the mountain with, you know, it looked like from the people's vantage point that the top of the mountain was on fire and there was a, a belief that um, up until Jesus and Jesus's interaction with human beings, there was this great fear of being in the presence of God. In fact, the holiness of God um, just being in God's presence could kill you was, was the idea. And so when they understand that this God is the, pre that this cloud is the presence of God and then they hear the voice, they drop face down on the ground and they are in terror. But then we hear, they fell onto the ground terrified, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Jesus' words are filled with love and encouragement. And in addition to that, Jesus actually gives them a reassuring touch of tenderness. Again, Dale Bruner. Everything is in this little seventh verse. And in some ways, this little end of the transfiguration story, often neglected as if a mere after effect, may be one of the most important parts in this story. For Jesus shines not just to shine, not just to impress, not even in the final analysis to make us obedient or trembling but especially to help us up, to put us on our feet, to enable us to breathe again so that we can follow him. That's the purpose of Jesus speaking. One of the main reasons that we listen to the voice of Jesus is that it is full of truth and love. Voices that are full of truth and love are in pretty short supply in our society these days, in our lives right now. The discourse in our public lives um, has become significantly worse 
since the election of the current occupant of the White House. And I say that specifically because the president's public speech does have a significant impact on how others speak in our world, in our country especially. In a recent Washington Post article, it noted that there are kids as young as six years old who are repeating some of Trump's bullying verbatim. They gave a bunch of examples. Uh, two kindergartners in Utah told a Latino boy that President Trump was going to send them back to Mexico. Teenagers in Maine sneered ban Muslims at a classmate wearing a hijab. And there, are, there were just dozens more stories like this. And I will say, I will say in fairness that that same article noted that there were some kids who have been bullied because they are Trump supporters. But none of that is okay. None of that's okay. But it serves to reveal the influence that the voices in our lives have on how we approach the world and speak to others. And I will admit that there are many times of late when I have let other voices crowd out the voice of Jesus, mostly Rachel Maddow and Joy Reid. Um, but there's all kinds of times when I will catch myself and realize how, how much I've let other voices crash in on me. And I'll go back to listening, at least listening first to Jesus, to the voice of Jesus. And it always changes me for the better. The voice of Jesus is always a voice of truth and love. And that combination is essential. Truth and love. Throughout our lives, Jesus will always be with us through our times of terror, through our times of grief, through our times of joy. When we look up, Jesus will be there, always with truth and love. I'm moved by the way that Malcolm Gite, a British poet, captures this experience in his poem about the transfiguration. He writes, For that one moment in and out of time, on that one mountain where all moments meet, the daily veil that covers the sublime in darkling glass fell dazzled at his feet. There were no angels full of eyes and wings, just living glory full of truth and grace. The love that dances at the heart of things shone out upon us from a human face. And to that light, the light in us leaped up. We felt it quicken somewhere deep within, a sudden blaze of long extinguished hope trembled and tingled through the tender skin, nor can this blackened sky, this darkened scar, eclipse that glimpse of how things really are. In this story, we are encouraged to feel the touch of Jesus, to listen to him, to not be afraid, to rise up and follow. Amen. Amen.